They will know we are Christians by our love. Amen and amen. May it be so. Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. There were wars and there were rumors of wars. There was rampant political corruption all around. Officials twisted laws for their own benefit and the wealthy exploited the poor for profit. The violence seized what they wanted and the weak had little recourse to stop them. In short, things in the prophet Habakkuk's day were not at all unlike things are in our own. It too was a reality in which the unjust too often prevailed and in which the wicked too often prospered and in which the immoral simply scoffed at criticisms leveled against them and in which the powerful too often used coercive force to keep things working to their own benefit. Yes, it was a corrupt time one in which Habakkuk responded by crying out, O oh Lord, how long shall we cry out to you for help and you will not listen? How long will we cry to you violence and you will not save us? Why do you make us look at wrongdoing and trouble? Destruction and violence are always before us. Strife and contention arise. The law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous and therefore judgment comes forth perverted. Oh, Habakkuk, you ancient prophet. Have you been watching our evening news? Today marks week five in our Lenten sermon series on the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And as we turn our attention to the prophet Habakkuk, we are now dangerously close to the historical moment in which Babylon will violently conquer Judah, slaughtering and or sending into exile the vast majority of its inhabitants. So yes, there were indeed wars and rumors of wars in that day. Just as there was banking fraud and political corruption and housing discrimination and criminality toward minority populations and all sorts of other modern day evils besides. It's all right there in these three short chapters. Give it a look. So yes, Habakkuk, though he was prophesying some 2,700 years ago, Habakkuk may as well have been lifting his voice in complaint today. You can file this under nothing new under the sun, so to speak. But here's the thing. While Habakkuk saw with clear eyes just how rampant the corruptions of his day were, while Habakkuk saw just how deeply broken God's original design for shalom was, Habakkuk was also no cynic or pessimist about where things were ultimately going. 
Yes, there is injustice, Habakkuk believed. Yes, there is corruption. No, these things cannot stand. Yes, they are blights on society and on shalom. But there is a coming day, he believed, when all will be set right. And that is the part of Habakkuk's prophecy that I want us to focus our attention on today. Not just on his sober criticisms of societal and individual corruption, but more so even than that, on his sincere hopefulness for renewal and for restoration. But... But before we get to any of that, before any of that, I want to quickly say a word about an image from the novel The Great Gatsby. An image that has stuck with me since high school. It's the image of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg's eyes, which are the lone vestige of a fading advertisement on an abandoned billboard between West Egg and East Egg, New York, which is the fictional town, as you'll recall, in which the characters of that novel live and move and have their being. When these corrupt and morally bankrupt and deceitful characters drive back and forth between East Egg and West Egg, F. Scott Fitzgerald always describes the eyes of T.J. Eckelberg there upon this billboard as quietly looking down over them, silently taking in all that they're doing. And as literary scholars agree, one viable interpretation of this symbol is that the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg represent the eyes of God, quietly watching with sadness over and disapproval of and judgment against the scandals and corruptions and immoralities that are taking place below. You're all welcome for this reminder of high school English class, by the way. But outside of bringing up the great Gatsby because I happen to like that novel... Here's the real point in mentioning that billboard and mentioning Dr. T.J. Eckelberg's eyes. I mention it because the way that we most often tend to conceptualize the providence of God, which is to say, the way that we most often tend to conceive of God's active engagement with creation, is that we conceive of God as being above us, as God looking down, as it were, of God overseeing things, of God occasionally intervening from above. And for this conceptualization of God's providence, eyes, as a symbol, looking down, well, this is about as helpful an image as one could come up with to convey this conception of God's engagement with the world. So kudos, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Well done. But the reason that I mention all of this this morning is because 
As we consider Habakkuk's stinging criticisms of the brokenness of the world, and as we then try to hold those criticisms up against, try to hold them alongside his unvarnished hopefulness about the world in general, as we do, I think that along with a conception of God's providence as God's eyes looking down over us, I think we do well to add to our understanding of God's providence another image. That of God's hands reaching out to us. I want you all to follow me here. Yes, God is above us and watching over us and judging us and hopeful for us and engaging with us and all of these things, but God is also out in front of us too. And thus, when we try to conceive of how God may be responding to all the brokenness and the injustice in the world, on how God might be responding to the suffering and to the pain, to the tragedies and the misfortunes, to the loneliness and the isolation, to the marginalization and the oppression, when we try to conceive of how God may be responding to all of these things, to all of these things and so many others like them that make us, like Habakkuk, cry out even now, How long, O Lord? When we try to conceive of such Things, it can be enormously helpful for us to, along with conceiving of God as above us and looking down upon us, to likewise conceive of God as already out ahead of us and as pulling us and as pulling all things ever forward. Is God drawing things ever closer to their appointed restoration and goal? Do you follow that? Eyes above us, yes, no doubt, but also hands already out ahead of us, reaching back through time, as it were, and pulling us forward. Conceive of it as a gravitational pull, the gravity of the Holy Spirit emanating from the very center of God's eternal future, drawing us here in the present, ever onward toward the goal of God's kingdom come. And if that sounds too fanciful or overly poetic, I invite all of us to recognize and to recognize clearly that this is what the resurrection of Jesus is. For at its core, the resurrection of Jesus is the arrival in the present of a reality already awaiting us in the future. Let me say that again. It's that important. At its core, the resurrection of Jesus is the arrival in the present of a reality already awaiting us in the future. The future momentarily arriving right smack dab in the present. That is what the resurrection is, if it happened, which I believe it did.
And thus what follows then is that if so, in the spirit of the resurrected Lord Jesus, coming not just from above us, but so much more than that, coming also from out ahead of us, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus is pulling us and is pulling all things ever onward to their appointed ends, their goal. Hear now the prophet Habakkuk on this very thing. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write down the vision and make it plain. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. And that vision speaks of the end, of the goal, of the finality. And it does not lie. It seems to tarry, but wait for it. For it will surely come. Dear family, that vision about which Habakkuk speaks is the vision of God's kingdom come. It is the vision of the restoration of God's shalom. It is the vision of things being put back to rights, of all things being put back to rights. It is the vision of things being restored to the way they were always supposed to be. Listen to Neil Plananga the foremost living authority on the reality of sin and of sin's violation of shalom and of the coming restoration of all that sin has broken. Listen to Plantinga, and I quote, The prophets kept dreaming of a time when God would put things right again. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out. All nature, the prophets believed, would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, would walk with God, would lean toward God, and would delight in God. This Plantago writes, and this, Habakkuk is saying, is the vision for the appointed time. This future reality, this heartbreakingly beautiful restoration of all that has been so badly and brutally marred and broken in the world. It is indeed coming, Habakkuk says. No matter how dark and evil and awful things around us and things within us may be, even still, Habakkuk says, this future reality is indeed coming. And then he famously says, and so the righteous will live by faith. Bringing us now to the point of this sermon. Yes, Habakkuk says, the righteous will live by faith. A phrase later picked up by the Apostle Paul, and then later picked up by Martin Luther, and therefore a phrase that has held considerable influence on us all as Protestant Christians. Yes, Habakkuk says, the just, the righteous will live by faith. But perhaps a more helpful way of understanding this famous phrase so as not to limit it, so as not to reduce it to the righteous will live by right belief, which is how this famous phrase is too often misunderstood, 
Perhaps a better way to understand this famous phrase would be, the righteous will live by their faithfulness. Which is to say, Habakkuk here has just affirmed in his prophetic work his belief in the coming restoration and transformation of all things. And he is now saying that if one really believes this, if one really believes in the future coming of this reality that he has just described, then one's life will bear out that belief by his or her living now as if this reality were already here. In other words, the righteous will live by their faithfulness to this vision. And so what follows for Habakkuk then is this. That if the coming restoration of shalom includes, say, judgment against violence and against all manner of abuse, which it obviously does, then a faithful person will not only strive to eradicate all violent and all abusive tendencies in him or herself, but will likewise stand up for and advocate against all forms of violence and abuse of which there are myriad in this broken world. For if we believe that that is how it will be then, well then, Habakkuk is saying, faithfulness to that vision requires that we begin trying to live that way now. The righteous will live by faith. Just as if the coming restoration of shalom includes, say, the abolition of all forms of prejudice and unfairness, which obviously it does, then a faithful person will not only strive to eradicate all prejudiced and unfair tendencies in him or herself, of which we all have countless, but will likewise stand up for and advocate against all manner of laws and social mores and distinct inequalities in the world now, of which there are seemingly infinite. For if we believe that this is how it will be then, well, then faithfulness to that vision requires that we try our best to live that way now because the righteous will live by faith in that vision. Yes, what follows for Habakkuk in all of this is that if the coming restoration of Shalom truly will include a full-on restoration of how things should be, and if we really do believe in the future coming of this vision, that is, if it's more to us than just pretty words or smoke and mirrors, well then, if so, it means that we should, it means we have to. It is incumbent upon us to prove our faithfulness to that vision by trying our best in as imperfect yet in as sincere of ways as possible to start trying to restore that kind of shalom now. Because the righteous will live by faith. Let us make no mistake, dear family, 
The eyes of divine judgment do indeed look down on the mess that we have made and on the mess that we continue to make of things in this world. They were careless people, Fitzgerald writes at the end of his great novel. They smashed up things. And then they retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was and they let other people clean up their mess. This is Fitzgerald, a contemporary Habakkuk, reminding us that the eyes of divine judgment do indeed look down on the way that we smash God's shalom to pieces and on the careless manner in which we do it. But Habakkuk, unlike Fitzgerald, reminds us that not only do the eyes of divine judgment look down on our carelessness, but that so too do the hands of divine love pull us ever onward out of brokenness and toward our restoration and our redemption. We and this world will indeed be judged, Habakkuk says, and rightly so, but we and this world will indeed be saved and restored. That is Habakkuk's view, dear family, and that is the heart of the Christian gospel. For I go now to prepare a place for you, saith the Lord Jesus, so that where I am you may be also. In other words, he says to his disciples, I leave now the wreckage of this world as it currently is. And through the epitome of carelessness and brokenness on the cross, I will transcend and I will overcome and I will transform and I will restore this wreckage and corruption. To which Jesus' disciples respond, Show us the way that we may follow you. To which Jesus answers, I am the way. In other words, my life is the model and my spirit is the power and my destination is the future and my very being is the gravity that will pull you ever onward so that upon my return to you where I am and as I am, you may be also. Oh, dear family, there is a vision for the appointed time. Even as we all take stock of the horrors within and the horrors without, even as we all smash daily to pieces shalom and watch with horror as those with more power than we do smash shalom even greater still, even so, dear family, there is still a vision for the appointed time. And as Habakkuk says, that vision speaks of the end and it does not lie. It seems to tarry. But it will indeed come. Meanwhile, though, until it does, the righteous shall live by faithfulness to that vision. For the faithful believe that the future is already out there ahead of us and waiting for us. That the conditions are already being prepared for us even now. 
That the divine hands are pulling us closer and closer to it this very moment. That God is indeed at work in all things for the good to those who love Him. Because the gravitational pull of God's love is both certain and inexorable. So let us today and every day live by faithfulness to that vision. And let us Prove our faithfulness to that vision by in eager anticipation trying to make that vision ever so slightly more a reality today. And all God's people said, Amen.